You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting Community Here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel, and today I have the lovely Katie Kimball. And Katie has been um, already a guest on Be the Best Parent You Can Be, and I just love the work that she is doing to empower families to get our children in the kitchen, which if you've been listening to me, you know I'm a big advocate of having children uh, be in the kitchen learn how to cook for themselves from a very, very early age. So thank you so much, Katie, for making the time to be here with us today. It's an honor, Jean-Marie. This is what I'm all about. Yes. And and that's why I'm having you back, because I know that every time we, we talk, we just you know, really connect and go, yes, yes, yes. So uh, this is wonderful. So as I start with all my guests, um, I'd like to know how you define the art of parenting? Oh, the art of parenting. You know, the first word that comes to my mind is that it's a journey with no final destination. <laughs> you know, it's it's something that we'll just, we sign up for and it's hard work, it's good work, it's worthwhile, and it will never end. And I think that's so powerful for parents to remember because especially for perfectionists like me, sometimes we feel like we want to tie off a project, right? And get it just perfect. But that will never happen with yeah. parenting. It's always a process. Process, even a better word than journey. Yeah. No, and and I like that, the fact that it it you can't just tie it up and put it away. It's like it's it's ongoing and it's ever evolving and such. So mm-hmm. beautiful. And you uh you have four children, correct? I do. We've got kindergarten, third grade, sixth grade, and a freshman in high school now. Oh my goodness. Oh the whole the whole gamut. That's wonderful. It is, it is wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So before we get a little too involved in our conversation, I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about your background and how you came to do the work that you're doing. You know, I started my life as a teacher. I always knew since I was in kindergarten that I wanted to be a teacher. Like that is just the way my brain works, you know, breaking things down into little steps and explaining things. And I, I just have always had that heart of a teacher. Um, so that's what I went to school for and had a baby two years in and, and left that to, you know, focus on the art of parenting. So it's been kind of a journey back from the, from parenting only, which is, of course, teaching, to different kinds of teaching. So now, you know, I believe that the most powerful way to show kids that they matter 
and that they make a real difference in the world is to teach them to cook because everybody needs to eat. That's a, you know, this, the, if, if child can fulfill a basic human need for someone else, it's, it's such a confidence booster and they can really learn any academic skill or personality trait in the kitchen. So that's where I've kind of chosen to focus now, but it's it's been a, a bit of a journey from the third grade classroom through um, blogging, teaching other moms how to stay healthy without going crazy, and then just seeing this real need in the world for our children to learn to cook, um, in part because of what I was hearing from my community at Kitchen Stewardship. Moms kept saying, Katie, this is so hard to get healthy because I was never taught to cook. It's like we have this, this huge gap in um, the, the food techniques were not passed down from our moms in part because of convenience food and I think in part because of their really well-intentioned feeling that they needed to make our childhoods easy for us, easier than theirs, right? And accidentally, they made our adulthoods a little harder. And so it's, I feel like it's my mission to turn that back around and bring those basic cooking skills and time in the kitchen back to families and children. Wonderful. And do you do you see that there is kind of a shift back to the more traditional way of eating? Because it's true, like for, for me coming from Europe, I know that I was very much um, kind of shocked of how, you know, this this fast food culture and how just the like you say, eating out of convenience, but not really what I know as eating is really sitting at a table and and being together. And sometimes, you know, some of those meals will last for a long time, but it really is very intentional. It's only three times a day. It's not like, you know, just grab whatever you want out of the fridge. Do you feel that with the families you've working with or maybe with, you know, the, the time that you've been doing this, do you feel like there's a coming back to those traditions at all? I, I do. I see a positive um, shift, like the pendulum is starting to swing back in the right direction, and I'm grateful for that, but it needs a lot of pushing. It, it's really it's really challenging in this culture because I, I think I don't think the culture as a whole is shifting quite yet because food marketers have so much money and they're so loud in our in our heads and in our consciousness. And so even though there's definitely a shift toward healthier eating and you know more nutritious foods, more whole foods, but of course the food marketers are like, great, we can make products out of that and still sell like healthier convenience foods, right? So it's it's like a there's a multi-step process. We've got to for, you know, think about what we're eating and the, you know, cooking with whole foods. Then there's actually learning the skills of cooking and not just, you know, paying. You can go to my grocery store now, pick up some produce, take it to a counter and they'll cut it up for you, which is like it's kind of good because it's going to encourage, I believe, more people to eat, you know, more whole foods with single ingredients. But on the other hand, it's like, wait a minute. Now we're outsourcing, you know, some basic like that everybody <laughs> yeah. eats. Yeah. So there's yeah. there's the food, there's the process of cooking, and then there's the family table, right? Which is again, it's like a whole separate issue. Are people like you said, you painted the picture so beautifully? Are you sitting down and being intentional and taking time to connect with with one another as human beings? nourishing your bodies, minds, and spirits all at the same time. So I think each one of those is sort of a separate issue. And we are seeing a lot of parents and, and moms really desiring a 
a return to the simple on a lot of those, but it's a challenge in the culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you say when you say challenge, uh, and and I totally agree with you because I know some of the you know workshops I do and everything, we always kind of come back to that, and and you know families tell me, oh, but you know it's it's really hard to get dinner on the table. The children want my attention, and I'm like, well, maybe you should just involve them, and then they'll have your attention, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and then and then and then you know the the. The idea of, for me, I mean, you know, and and this is very personal, but for me, it it is a priority that we have breakfast and dinner at a table sitting together as a family. So lunch, we're, you know, we're off at work, they're off at school, but breakfast and dinner have always been kind of my priority. And I know that, like you say, it is a challenge for a lot of families. So how do you help them or, or kind of what are some of the maybe mindset shift that that you empower parents to have to be able to kind of integrate that into our daily routine? Yeah, you know, I, for me, like I'm kind of a science geek, so I like to start with statistics. I think that um, it really primes the brain, right? We need to know why why to care? Why should we sit down at the table? Just just because Jean-Marie and Kate right. told me to, you know, that's not going to be like the right motivation. Right. Um, so, we know that just two family dinners a week actually begins to show a reduction in teenagers' uh, use of drugs, alcohol, risky behaviors, and depression. Just two. Wow. Not that wow. two should be the goal, but like to know that you can start to make an impact in your child's life with just two is fabulous. The impact, of course, increases in the, the positive direction, the more family dinners that that teenager sits down for. Um, and of course, I mean, that's a stat for teens, but the same thing happens with our little kids. We know that um, children get a greater vocabulary and have better reading readiness and better reading scores the more words they hear. And research shows that they hear the most words from their parents at the family dinner table because the parents are going to be talking to each other about work or their day or whatever, and they're going to talk with the children. And so that's you know the perfect time to, again, not only connect as human beings, but even on the academic side, we're building their language, we're building their relationship with food. Um, And then, of course, as human beings, we know that we need eye contact in our lives. We, um, We have in our brains these mirror neurons, which is so cool. So you, if you like, when you see someone yawn, you know how sometimes you yawn? Even yes. if you're not tired. Yeah. So that's your yeah. mirror neurons. It's like your brain actually right. short circuits your consciousness. It happens at a non-conscious level. And and that all happens as well with emotions and more strongly with people with whom you're, you know, more emotionally connected that you love. So your kids will take on your emotions, which is like step one for parents. If you're feeling a little stressed out, it's so important to try to release that stress before you come to the table so that your kids mirror neurons aren't sort of firing stressfully and having your kids like take your stress on their shoulders. You know that on the flip side, it's a great opportunity for you to connect with those kids and give them, you know, kind of fill their buckets, you know, we give them the connection that they need. Um, they, we talk about the blue zones. There's like seven blue zones where people live to be over 100 at a, at a rate much higher than the rest of the world. And they eat – every blue zone has a different way of eating. And people are always saying, oh, like what do we eat for the best longevity? But it may not be about the food. 
one of the main constants that people find in the blue zones is community, is Mm. sitting down together and having support systems within and without the family. And it often happens around the table, as I'm sure you would know, be, you know, we being from Europe, like we let that, we've let that break down a little bit in America and we definitely need it. We, you know, our kids need it. Their emotions need it. Their knowledge about food needs it. And we have to have no screens at the table. We just got to lay that out there right now that, you know, I actually grew up watching TV at every meal, which is so weird because my mother was very intentional about so many areas of parenting. And I think this was just something that she didn't really think about. And maybe it wasn't, you know, in the news, like screen time wasn't a big thing back then. We only had the television, um, but we watched The Cosby Show or Wheel of Fortune every single family dinner. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) And we ate together every night, but we always watched TV. And I look back and I go, huh, that's I my mother did so many good things, but that one maybe not a great habit. Um, I'm fortunate that I didn't continue that habit into adulthood. Good. Yeah. And and it's 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 interesting what you say about um, you know, teenagers, adolescent and all this. I know for for me, uh, with my husband, I remember us kind of kind of connecting and going, oh my gosh, this is such a good thing that we have really established from, you know, from day one, really, as soon as they were able to sit, they were at the table with us. But for me, you catch things, you know, in, in our conversation and going over the day. I remember with my with my eldest, like, you know, catching things that were going on in, in high school that didn't seem too healthy or that were bothering her and all of that. And and I just, thinking back, I don't know where I would have caught those if we didn't have that daily time to connect where she felt that it was a safe place to share. I love that. And I totally agree. Can I share a couple um, like yes. fun, fun ways yeah. to inspire conversation? Because I know yes. Like, yes. yeah, the knee-jerk parent question is, how is school? How's your day? And the knee-jerk yeah, no. reaction is, <laughs> Fine. Exactly. Did you do nothing? Um, so, like, we need a little help, right? We need to kind of if we're if we're gonna sit down at the table, we might as well be intentional about it. I like to call it supercharging the process. Um, so, I think a lot of people know, like, do the high and the low of your day, or we call it the rose and the thorn. Um, but I really like I really like to push my kids thinking a little bit too. And so we have um, some questions we call the three L's, and it's when did you laugh today? Which is great because once you start talking about times that you laughed, you know, especially if you can get the kid to say, well, okay, you laughed at lunch. Well, what was funny? And if the family starts laughing together, right, that gets those endorphins flowing and you're feeling more positive about the whole meal and laughter is a good stress reliever. So when did you laugh is the first L. What did you learn today? And of course, nothing is not an acceptable answer. And I, I, it's so great for the parents to model this too, because it's easy for kids to think that learning is in a box called school, wow. right? And so if it's a weekend, if I didn't go to school, my parents don't go to school, you know, maybe we didn't learn anything. So it's so, so helpful, I think, for them, for their mindset about growth and learning in general, that we can talk about, you know, well, I learned that um, you know, my son, John, really needs to have routine because I noticed today when he got home from school um, and he didn't put his backpack away, it might be because, you know, we we got out of our routine or whatever. Like that would just be a little example of 
a non-academic learning that I could share. And then they're like, oh, you know, it kind of opens that that box of learning's not only at school, it's not only in books, it's not just cool factoid stuff, although that's fun too, but we can learn about life and about other people. Um, so number one, when did you laugh? Two, when what did you learn? And three is how did you love someone else today? And so mm-hmm. we encourage our kids to think about how were they kind? What did they do for someone at school? Um, and then ideally, once they have maybe not had an answer to that question a few times, because that's the hard one, hopefully they're looking for opportunities the next day to serve. Because I, I want to raise kids who are generous and who have that like heart for service um, and that this that little question. And we don't do it every night because then that would you know be become too routine. But we, we switch it up a little bit and do the three L's or we do the rose and the thorn. Um, and then that that keeps it that keeps it fresh enough. Yes. And, and you, you mentioned one thing that I think is very important is modeling that Mm -hmm. because I know, you know, I know I get families telling me, oh, you know, when I pick up my child, I ask them, you know, how was your day? And they don't tell me or they don't share. And, and, you know, for one, the children are in the present moment. So what happened, you know, a few hours ago is, is done. It's like, they're here with you. So model and and share what you did today, you know, model that that conversation of, oh, today, you know, there was somebody at work that made me laugh because he said a funny joke or mm-hmm. things like that. We, we tend to want to extract information from our children without ever sharing it, I think. So yeah, I so. like that point you brought up. Yeah. Good. Well um, yeah. One thing about, um, you know, we, 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 we said kind of offline, we would focus on more the, the, the meals together, because I'm hoping that a lot of the listeners um, already know the importance of getting children involved in the kitchen for, you know, many different reasons for, for sensorial, for confidence, for, for all sorts of things. But so if we're going to focus around this family meal that hopefully, you know, families are wanting to establish on a regular basis. And if it's, you know, once a week, twice a week, every day, you know, whatever you can, you can manage. But one thing that comes up a lot with the families that I work with is that the younger children won't stay at the dinner table. They just want to get up and, you know, go play and all this. So do you have um, kind of strategies to get everyone to stay at the dinner table until we're all done, until we can clear the table together? That is a great point. Um, I remember when I started doing some presentations on picky eating and helping kids eat better. And I would ask people who signed up via email, well, what's your biggest challenge at the table? And um, I was just blown away by how many people said two things. And one was, I don't know how to feed my child without them watching something on the tablet. Mm, Oh dear. I had no idea it was so rampant because my kids were like, you know, getting older. And um, the second thing was they're running around the table. They're leaving. I can't get them to stay in a chair. Um, So I think there are different answers for different phases. I would say two and three and below, just use those buckles, (laughs) moms and dads. Like I know we want our kids to have freedom and independence, but if they're really running around, I would say to my child, you know, this is our family dinner time and it's important that you're here with us. So if you can stay in your chair, you can have no buckles. 
If you need to get out of your chair without asking to be excused, then mommy needs to use the buckles, right? And just, you know, they're, they're little enough that for me, I think that that's important, not, you know, not to make it a huge power struggle, but they need to know that we're still in control, right? And if they're running around the table, we've lost that control. Once they're too old for the booster or the high chair, um, we we teach our kids that they need to ask to be excused and we just really expect them to sit down, um, but not not within or not without reason, right? I don't think that kids are capable of sitting perfectly still, right, with their back straight. And so sometimes my kids will want to stand at the dinner table. And I say, you know what, that's okay. Like that's not a battle that I'll pick. So allowing them to have some agency on how they are at the table, whether they're, you know, sitting pretzel style on their chair or standing without their chair or kind of, you know, kids, kids' bodies don't really fit adult chairs. Um, and I just did a fascinating interview with Dr. Kay Toomey, who's been a feeding expert for 30 years. And she said, you know, when children are sitting in chairs and their feet can't touch anything, their brain, without them being in control of it, their brain is actually a little worried they're going to fall. Mm, and so their brain yeah. can't fully focus on either conversation or chewing and swallowing and tasting because they're scared. <laughs> they're in fight or flight. That's fascinating. They're yeah. like they're going to fall. Totally yeah. fascinating. So she yeah. has chairs, these special chairs that make the child's body sit perfectly at all 90 degree angles, 90 degree waist, knees and ankles. And so and so that's why. And I just as soon as I had that interview, I thought, oh, my gosh, that's my kids, because my two little boys are constantly like my eight year old John. He'll have one foot on the floor and one foot tucked under him on the chair. Mm-hmm. All the time mm-hmm. at the dinner table. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's what he's doing his brain is worried he's going to fall off. Oh, right. Um, so yeah. I think that that can be like a revelation to parents that if your kids are getting out of their chairs and running around, it may be because the chair doesn't fit. And so right. depending on the ages you have, you might be able to have a smaller table that then you can go down and be uncomfortable for a little while and sit with the child. And I bet that that would help them want to stay there. And want yeah. to sit. So agency for me, agency is huge. When I was learning, um, when I was becoming a teacher, I did a whole thesis on agency in literacy. So that when kids have choices as they learn to read, they are more positive about learning to read and they do it faster. And so I think the same applies to food. So when they have choices about how they sit on the chair, whether they're sitting or standing, if they eat the food, you know, if if dinner is an uncomfortable time because the parents are always saying, eat your food, clean your plate, finish your dinner. Well, kids are like, if that's what happens when I sit here, I just want to leave. Right. So it's better, you know, we know we need to let our children make the decision on how much they eat. We just decide what we serve, the Ellen Satter's division of responsibility. So that that can really change the tone of a dinner table if the child um, is even allowed to move foods that they don't like to another little plate next to their plate. If, they're, if they can move their food, Dr. Toomey said, they don't feel the need to move themselves away from the table. So interesting. That, interesting. You know, just the little, little yeah. tips and tricks. Yeah. You brought up a very good uh, point, which is this division of responsibility. And I would love for you to maybe talk a little bit more about that for maybe listeners that do not know this concept. Absolutely. This is from Ellen Satter. And she says that when it comes to eating, um, the parent's responsibility is what is served, 
when the meal is served and where it is served. So I can say, you know, we're having soup, salad, and a biscuit tonight. We're eating at the table and we're eating at six o'clock. And then my responsibility ends because physically I can't make my child's mouth chew. I can't make their throat swallow, right? So why am I trying? But why am I trying? Their responsibility is whether they eat or not and how much they eat. Um, and I think just remembering that, keeping that in the back of your mind can can help empower parents to not let their buttons get pushed so much when kids say, I don't want to eat this or two bites in, I'm full, you know, and we need to just reduce those power struggles at the table so that kids have a better relationship with food and, and feel better around the table. So I always tell people, Ellen Satter does the philosophy you can have in your brain. And then I, I try to teach parents really practical uh, phrases they can use to Im- impl- eh, implement that division of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And when you when you set up your dinner table, for example, do you bring all of the food, everything on the table? So you, because I know this is something that I suggest is to, you know, make sure ahead of time that everything is there at arm's reach. So, you know, if you want to have a little cart next to you or whatever, so that you're not needing to get up as well, because that I feel really helps, you know, model that we stay at the table uh, during the meal. That is true. And that would be best practice. I'm um, mm-hmm. a little bit not born organized. So, <laughs> so I <laughs> you don't, don't always have that all together. But I will say if I'm if I'm cooking without the children involved, because um, it, it varies, you know, they, they are busy and have lives too. When I call people into the table, um, they need to set the table and they know that and they need to get beverages for everyone. And then there's usually quite a collection of items, food items on the counter. And everybody's ferrying those over. So yes, so okay. Okay. say that yeah. like all of our salad supplies and dressings, you know, everything. But sometimes the main course may still be hot on the stove, and people might have to get up for seconds. But otherwise, everything's pretty much there. And then um, at the end of the meal, it's always the kids' responsibility, the kids as a whole, um, to clear all of that back to the kitchen. Um, mm-hmm. Just uh, we try to make that a habit, and which means we've you know, reminded them a thousand times and we'll remind them a thousand more and then we'll be able to tie off that part of parenting, right? <laughs> well, maybe, yes. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So one thing that you did mention earlier on is this uh, notion of needing screens to get our children to stay at the table. And I know I actually had a father come up to me the other day, um, asking me, you know, mom leaves for work early, he's alone with his child. And the only way he can get her to come down to the breakfast table is with a tablet. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) But it's like, how do we kind of maybe, you know, preemptively not bring that to like that not be an option? And if it has become kind of a habit, like how do you help families take that away from it being part of the meal experience? Yeah, we have to create a new normal because we mm-hmm. ex- I think we all slid into this current and I like I'm reticent to even say that it can be normal, but I'm afraid it is. We've slid accidentally into this new normal that that screens can be part of dinner time and just look around a restaurant. 
And you see that it is true. We have to be very intentional about creating a new normal. And the great thing about a new normal is that all, all we need to do is make the change and then be consistent and make it stick for a number of days, right? It is, if you have tablets or phones that are always at the table or the TV's always on, like my family, the first couple of days are going to be rough. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. The kids will complain. Um, but just like anything that's important, we tell ourselves, I'm the parent, I'm the grown up, you know, I can get through this and I know that it will get better and they their brains will adapt to the new normal. So um, I would just really explain to the kids, even if they're little, trust them to understand that food and entertainment don't have to go together. I think that's what we really want to try to do is separate this idea of food and nourishment from entertainment and especially like just kind of consuming, right? We need to consume our food, not consume our screens at the same time. And um, and especially, oh my goodness, like studies are showing that when people are watching screens, television, they're, and while eating, they're mindless, of course, mm, about eating right. part. The food right. is going in probably too much. <laughs> we know that obesity statistics are terrifying. And it's not all screen's fault, but it's certainly part of it. If you're mindlessly eating, you're not listening to your body's cues of hunger or satiation. Um, so how do you yeah. how do you get yeah. rid of them? I mean, cold turkey. <laughs> like yeah. okay. go cold turkey. And I would I would think of other ways to call the kids to the table, right? So for your dad, honestly, I would I would say a couple of things. First of all, if you can get the kids involved in the food preparation, now you have something else right before dinner. So instead of calling them for dinner or breakfast, call them in to help crack eggs. Call them in to help set the table so it's a different task than yeah. calling them in to eat. Um, and that way, that that task of helping in the kitchen or helping with the table can seamlessly slide into the meal. And hopefully, depending on how young they are, some of them might not even completely notice right away that that screen isn't there. Um, I, I think that it's with, with your dad in particular, the dad in your example, if the daughter's not coming to the table, it's time for a serious conversation. Like this is breakfast. This is going to nourish you. I know you feel better when you have breakfast, but if you don't come, I still need to take you to school at eight o'clock. Right. Right. And right. I will yeah. call you. Well, I don't know how old this girl is, but I will call you once every five minutes or once every minute. And when it becomes eight o'clock, you have missed breakfast and you will go to school without. And that will be rough if it happens. But that failure, that feeling of pain will make that child learn the next day, right? Yeah. Take responsibility yeah. for her own eating. So, oh my goodness, it's so important to separate the fact that we need to nourish our bodies with food from entertainment. And you know, the entertainment can be one another. It should be when we're nourishing our yeah. But it, but it's fascinating because as you're as you're you know saying that that I'm thinking of like when we go out to restaurants here um, in the states, it's there's televisions everywhere. Like they've they've you know mixed it all together, and it's it's crazy because then it's it's like that at home as well. So yeah, that's so true. Being mindful, yeah, so yeah. important. I try to focus so my the youngest children in the family when we go out to restaurants with televisions. I try really hard to get them in seats that are facing away. Yeah, They're facing away from yeah. because I know that their eyes will just be drawn by that motion. That's what I have to do with my husband sometimes. <laughs> <That's awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> Will you switch seats with me? Because because then I can't. I was like, I see him completely distracted. It's crazy. So yeah, 
<laughs> well, this has been this has been wonderful, and there's there's plenty more that we could talk about. So you know, we will we will do this again because I think it's a really important conversation to have and to really you know empower parents to have these conversations among themselves and to encourage good dinner conversation with the children. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Wonderful. Yep. Any, yeah. any small improvement that we can make. And like you said, any conversation with other parents too. Well, hey, you know, so-and-so, your friend, what do you do at the table? Or do you allow screens right. at the table? And um, they, the, the rules, so to speak, kind of have to change with every phase your child goes through too. When they have their own phone, now there's, you know, new rules that need to be set into place. So it's always, yeah. parenting is yeah. always a process. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. We we're we're in the midst of remodeling our kitchen, and one of the things that I ask for is actually a charging drawer. So it's a drawer where the phones go in, get charged, and they are left there. So that's going to be nice. That is a fantastic idea. <laughs> yeah. So so um, just to to kind of wrap this up, I like to ask a more personal question, and that is, you said you had four children. So the the eldest is how old? He's fourteen. Fourteen. Okay. So let's go back in time to maybe fifteen years ago when you were expecting your first child, mm. and if you had any wise words to tell that expecting mother, um, what would those words be knowing all that you know today? Mm, that is a big topic. <laughs> it is, <laughs> um, I know. I guess, well, since I, I'm always talking about food, so I'll start with that or stick with that. Just that um, the way it was for me, at least, is that being pregnant was a huge eye-opening realization that every bite I put in my mouth affected that baby. And then when the baby was born, you know, everything that that he put in his mouth affected him. And I can picture myself like karate chopping my husband's uncle who was trying to give my five-month-old Paul a bite of Cool Whip off his dessert at Thanksgiving. I was like, no! <laughs> so on the one hand, remember that every bite counts and we do want it to be nourishing. But on the other hand, that we probably shouldn't be so stressed about it that we're crying yeah. having uncles because the stress will impact the child, right? Yes, just as yes. much as a French fry from McDonald's. So to find, to just seek a balance. Um, but the, I think the best tip for little kids is that what they don't know they're missing can't hurt them. So when the yes. grandparents say, oh, but I want to give them a sucker because it's so fun. You say, yes, but they think raspberries are that fun right now. Exactly. So give them the raspberries and they have no idea they're missing the sucker. You're actually not depriving them or hurting them in any way. Right, right. And you're not, and, and, it, and you make a great point with that because it's also, you're not saying, you know, that it's good or that it's bad. If it's just not there, then we don't need to have this you know, labeling of, of what is better foods. So right. perfect. Perfect. Well, this has been a delightful Katie. And I know that, um, you, uh, I, I will put the link down below, but you were sharing a link to your free knife course, which I think is going to be also helpful for parents who, 
uh, you know, who do want to get the children into the kitchen. Can you can you tell us just a little bit about that? Absolutely. So in our Kids Cook Real Food e-course, we serve kids ages 2 to 12 and teach over 30 basic skills. And our members' favorite class, like the one that they say, oh my gosh, after this one 10-minute video, my kids are able to actually genuinely help in the kitchen and I'm getting my time back in spades. It's it's this knife skills and safety 10-minute video. And so it uh, we teach the same techniques with a butter knife and our two-year-olds as we do with a chef's knife and our 12-year-olds. So parents can really see that seamless transition from a butter knife to a paring knife to a chef's knife. And it takes a lot of the fear of the sharp knives away because you're learning with the butter knife. So this 10-minute class will teach um, our four basic holds and our three ways to hold the f- three ways to hold the food, four ways to hold the knife um, with these really fun phrases like up and over soldier and um, tug of war pull. And so your family will have this new vocabulary for how to cut up food and your kids will just burst with confidence that they can do these like real adult skills and nourish other people. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that. And I will have all of the links to also, you know, learn more about all of your other courses uh, down below in the show notes. So again, thank you so much for your time today, Katie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jean-Marie. It's my pleasure. Have you been searching for the owner's manual to your child or did you just misplace it? Are you tired of trying to figure out this whole parenting puzzle, not knowing what to do when it comes to tantrums, hitting or biting, sibling rivalry, potty training, proper sleep habits, or just plain wanting a better relationship with your child? You know, I've been at this for a while now and wanted to share my own parenting manual. It's called The Parenting School, and I've created it with you in mind. Give your child and yourself the gift of mindful parenting in just a few short weeks and discover all the tools you'll ever need to parent without losing your patience, giving in, or worrying that you're messing up. If you're yearning to be more patient and present with your child while finding balance in your own life, then you already know that you need effective parenting tools and ongoing support. You know you weren't meant to be raising children alone. And you probably already know that having the right parenting tools during moments of conflict is the key to staying grounded, responding with empathy, and strengthening your parent-child relationship. You've probably sensed that you'd be a more confident parent if you had a like-minded community supporting and encouraging you. Your skills have gotten you this far, but most days you still feel like you're making it up as you go. So here's what I've got for you. Reliable parenting principles that will allow you to finally set boundaries you can confidently uphold, communicate effectively with your child, declutter your home to enhance your child's independence, learning, and family harmony, and find more time to do the things you love. This is what the parenting school is all about. During this digital parenting course, you'll get weekly modules with lessons focused on key areas to get you where you want to be. These modules come packed full of video tutorials, journal prompts, actionable activities, expert interviews, and more, as well as weekly lifeline group mentoring calls where I answer your questions personally. 
plus a virtual village with like-minded parents supporting each other during this deep dive parenting intensive. I'll also include some extra special bonuses to keep you inspired and motivated along the way. So if this sounds too good to be true and you're ready to up-level your parenting skills as well as your family's well-being, head on over to The Parenting School at voilamontessori.com slash TPS dash enroll. That's TPS for The Parenting School dash enroll. To learn more about the, all the benefits of this fabulous interactive digital course I've created just for you. And by the way, I've also added the link in the show notes for you. Looking forward to supporting you and your family. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. And do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time. <laughs>